Welcome to the Why We Try podcast. Have you ever tried something you thought you would never do, but ended up doing it anyway? That was me. I'm Caroline Gardner, a stay-at-home mom of three who thought I would never try something like a triathlon. Until I did, and everything changed. This is a show about people who dared to try something they thought they would never do, until they did. So let's go find out why we try. Hey guys, it's me, Caroline, coming in here to introduce our next guest here on the Why We Try podcast. I'm so excited about this guest. I feel that we were, and she has told me um, after we completed the podcast that our uh, our paths were destined to cross. It's kind of really interesting how this podcast has been unfolding in my life and in the lives of the guests that I have on. So without further ado, let me go on and, and introduce this very special next guest. She is a magazine copy editor, writer, and illustrator who lives in Montclair, New Jersey with her husband. She copy edits for Vanity Fair, Vogue, GQ, Con Nast Traveler, People Magazine, Forbes, Guideposts, G&D Media, St. Martin's Press, Macmillan Books, Document Journal, and Minnesota State College on a freelance basis. She proofreads college textbooks, home decor books, novels, and self-help books from time to time. And she copy edited full-time for Good Housekeeping for seven years for Red Book, Woman's Day, and Dr. Oz. Laura has written for the Washington Post, The Hill, Good Housekeeping, Runner's World, and Associated Press. I'm reading all of this off of her amazing blog, which is called myfatherslist.com. You guys have to check her blog out. Laura Carney is joining me today. She is on top of all of these amazing, amazing roles that she she has in life. She's also an activist and a plant-based athlete. So join me as we sit down with Laura and find out a little bit more about her father's list, how it brought her to running, how it has brought her to, um, and I don't want to get emotional just thinking about it, guys. Um, it's brought her to swimming. It's brought her to cycling and it's brought her to running and so many other amazing activities in her life that, um, our paths actually crossed without us even knowing. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage and enjoy my interview with Laura Carney. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Why We Try podcast. This is Caroline and I am here today with a very special guest coming in all the way from up north, chilly up north, New Jersey. Hello, Laura. How are you today? Laura Carney, welcome to the Why We Try podcast. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm really well. I am. Um, I'm actually sweating down here and I feel awful for saying that because I have family up in Connecticut and a lot of friends too up north and you guys are getting bombarded, but it looks like sun is coming in where you are. So is, is it, is it, what's it like today? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting right in front of two windows actually. And it's like the sun just came out yesterday for the first time in two weeks. So I've been in a really good mood since yesterday. Oh my gosh. Wow. But it's been, it's been like bleak. It's been like the bleak midwinter up here for a couple of weeks. Right. It's, it's funny because the snow is so beautiful. And I think maybe the only reason people keep 
sort of complaining about it is because of the pandemic. So it's like, we're all just inside watching it. <laughs> it's like an endless uh, snow, snow day slash. Yeah. We talked about that groundhog day. It's like a, a constant replay. And then when it snows, it's true. I mean, if you have to be inside and I do remember that it's like you're hibernating, but right now you guys are hibernating in a, in a, in the middle of a pandemic. So that definitely is different. Yeah. Well, you know, the past year has been a year of extremes, I think. Too. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. But it's, not, it's not, it's not just going to snow a little bit. <laughs> it's like dumped up there. I'm, I'm like blown away. Um, and I'm sad too, because I'm jealous on the inside. I really do miss the snow. And, and um, so seeing all the snow that you guys have gotten um, for us Southerners, like we do, do have looking at how beautiful it is up there. So um, did you bring your favorite beverage? I think I, I saw you getting it in there this wonderful morning. So what did you bring today? Coffee, of course, it's almost gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I, need a refill. I, I brought mine. So cheers to you. Um, on Aww, coffee. Cheers. 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 Mine has a, my sister sent it to me. It says hope. So here is to hope. And what does yours have? <gasps> uh, mine says Magnolia. It's a <gasps> fixer upper company from HGTV. Oh, yes. I love them. They, they actually, they look very similar mugs yeah, actually. I wonder, I wonder if my sister got it from there and the inside it says, uh, you are strong. So like when you're drinking it, you feel like you're strong. Uh, I hope I, love the that. Coffee I, ha I have one. I have one that says empowered. So, oh, that's a good, that's a very good one. And do you take it any special way, your coffee or just straight black? I take it a little bit of oat milk, a little bit of uh, agave syrup. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So funny. So I, I brought mine out to the garage here, oat milk, oat creamer. I do the, the nut pod one. This one's pretty good. Um, is there any special one that you like that you can recommend for me for oat milk or just whatever you got? going on I think, up there. I think the one we usually get lately is it's called Califa Farms. I yeah. Think. Okay. There's another, I, I'm sure I'm probably getting it wrong. I bet there's another one that we've been getting that I'm just not remembering, but, um, the coffee though, we've been getting recently, this started during the pandemic is really awesome. It's, um, like this Laird Hamilton brand and it's just like super strong. It's really good. Oh, I have to look that one up. I'm always up for listening, uh, you know, or looking for a new flavor or not necessarily flavor, but company, you know, that makes coffee. This is important. We need our, yeah. our caffeine. <laughs> caffeine. And I mean, you know, it's by a surfer, so it makes me feel more athletic <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, Laura, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on today. It's a very special show today. Uh, for me personally, I know, um, your story is one that, um, is very unique and very important. Um, so thank you so much for saying yes to be, to be part of the Why We Try podcast. And um, we'll start at your beginning. Um, let's start with your beginning into your running and how you got into an endurance sports to begin with. Sure. I'm actually really excited to talk about that with you. I just, you know, I love everything that you do on your show and it's so rare that I get to really talk about that part of it because I, I, you know, I, I, my project is that I'm finishing my father's bucket list mm -hmm. and he was killed by a distracted driver when I was 25 and we found the list, um, 13 years later, uh, it was actually like soon after my wedding that we found it. And just before my brother's wedding. 
So I always sort of looked at it as a wedding gift. Um, and so many times that I've been doing this project over the past four years now, uh, I've just said, you know, if I weren't a runner first, <laughs> like I couldn't be doing this. Mm. I remember even, even one of the list items was play golf in the seventies a few times, which I might be using a little bit of uh, a few poetic liberties with that one. But, um, <laughs> I remember walking on the golf course, just searching for a golf ball that was nowhere to be found and thinking, Oh, thank God I ran the New York marathon. <laughs> <laughs> And I know, I don't know why I felt that. I guess it's just this idea of um, patience. You know, there's so mm. many things that long distance running teaches you and it, it's, it can be applied to so many other, so many other things that you do. Um, but I became a runner. I want to say, let's see, we found the list four years ago. I think it was three years before that. So I've been a runner for seven years. Mm. So you and were running before, before, and I, I want to pause for a minute and, and just um, recognize the fact that, you know, you touched upon something that's very, very important, you know, the loss of your father and at the hands of, of, a, of a texter or a cell phone user. Yeah, she was actually um, uh, using her phone to make a phone call. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting because people do often say that the person was probably texting and it's very, it's kind of like a little known fact that um, whether you're holding the phone in your hand or using it like Bluetooth, yeah. like those cause the same number of crashes. Those cause but, the same, really? Yeah, yeah. And and people think they're being safer if they're doing it like Bluetooth. Wow. But, but no, I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to pause on this because this is very important. And this is very important. I know as, as part of the awareness that you bring with you everywhere you go and everywhere you talk and everywhere you write. Um, this is very important. So you're saying that the numbers are equivalent when it's Bluetooth and you're talking hands-free as we call it versus uh, texting with your hands and, and, or holding the phone. Well, to well, no, not, not texting. I mean, that's, that's pretty texting. You know, common sense will tell you that if you're looking down at something, <laughs> Yes, yes. In your hands. See it when people are walking. <laughs> yeah. So it's more like, I mean, what, what really helped me to forgive, um, I mean, first of all, the girl was only 17 who mm. uh, set the, set this story into motion. Um, wow. But what really caused me to forgive her um, was, yeah, it was about 10 years after the crash and I had started doing my advocacy, you know, actually quite you know, I, don't, I like to say nothing's really accidental. I don't think it was a coincidence that that article came across my desk. Um, I'm a magazine copy editor mm -hmm. and I was working at Good Housekeeping when an article came across my desk about distracted driving. Wow. And until that day, I really didn't make the connection between the girl's phone and my dad's crash. But when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. The, that person was on the phone and they talked about that even in the newspaper article about it. Like it was the headline <laughs> oh of the story. And I, I thought I didn't know distracted driving was even a thing. So, you know, shortly after reading that article, I contacted the man who was in it and I said, you know, I think maybe I can help. And that was actually very terrifying for me because my dad's death was something I hid. I didn't tell anybody about it because it made me feel sort of like I guess the right word for it is disempowered, you know, because it's yeah. such a, it seems like a silly way for a grown man who's, you know, kind of heroic to you to go like, yeah. because of a 17 year old. Um, right. 
But anyway, as I started doing more advocacy, which for me actually, you know, and I'll touch on this in a minute, but for me that actually involved a lot of running early on because what I would do was I would raise money with the runs I was doing. Um, you know, I, the first fund I raised money for was for that man in that article that came across my desk. Uh, his name is Joel Feldman. Oh my and gosh. His, his daughter was killed, but he, you know, he quickly became my mentor. But um, as I started doing more of this, I started kind of getting recruited for different types of advocacy. And then they started really teaching me the science of it. So, you know, it's like, I'll never forget this moment. I was sitting at this seminar in Chicago, which I'd never been to before. They'd flown me out there. And uh, a woman who's now become a good friend of mine, uh, who was their researcher, she just started showing us these slides. And one of them was really scary because it just, what it did was it showed this picture of like where your eyes go through the, um, through your windshield. Mm, yeah. When you're, on, when you're on the phone. Uh -huh. versus where they go when you're not on the phone. Oh my gosh. <sighs> because, and, and then like the more I thought about it, the more it made sense to me because I like, I remember, I mean, you know, I'm old enough that when I was a teenager, we had like a cordless phone. I think we're about the same age. So <laughs> I don't know, Laura, I think I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I will can. take it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but you I had a cordless it. You had a cordless Yeah, and, and, okay. and I remember, I mean, that's actually not even important to the story, but, <laughs> but the, the point is like, we didn't have cell phones yet. Right, yes. And so that's because that's how old I am. So <laughs> I remember sitting there like, you know, in my house on the phone with friends and just kind of either doodling in a notebook while I was talking to someone or, you know, like, like my eyes would just kind of, you know, trace the lines of an oriental rug or something and just like just follow the pattern. Like, like my eyes would just kind of get fixed on something mm -hmm. while I was talking. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is because the part of your brain that monitors what's auditory is also monitoring visual. Mm. So, I mean, so, and then, you know, sometimes I tell people this and they'll say, well, what about like, if someone's in the passenger seat and talking to you and essentially, yeah, that's the, it's still an auditory distraction, but it's also right. different because that person's actually there with you. Yeah. Whereas the person on the phone isn't there with you. Right. So, um, you know, they'll stop. They'll, if they see something coming, they'll stop. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like they're like, we're in this, we're gonna, this together, yeah. buddy. <laughs> yeah. And they'll, they'll probably go, you know, and, uh, exactly. yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. As yeah. Oh, no. Well, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, as you're telling me this, it, it reminds me back to when I was younger and my dad, um, my dad was very strict in when it, when it came to pretty much everything, he was in the Navy. So it was very strict, but with the cars, especially. So I, there was a rule. I was never allowed to drive with teenagers. And when I hit high school, that just really sucked. And, but <laughs> I, you know, and, but the, I understood, I understand now that I have teenagers that are growing up and it was the distraction. Um, yeah, we didn't have cell phones. Um, I think it was pagers. And my dad was like, you're, the only reason you need a pager is if you're a doctor or, or a drug dealer and you're, you're not, you're, you're neither of those. You are, you will be neither of those, right? No, not now, whatever. So, you know, the point is that like, um, yeah, he didn't want me in the car with other teens. And then when I got my license, which I was older than most of the kids in my grade, I was in September baby. So he didn't want me driving on their kids and thinking about you in this conversation right now, it's kind of dawning on me, obviously that's like, the distraction because we are, we're putting our music up, we're hanging out, we're really into whatever we're talking about. And 
we're not really paying attention to what's going on all around us. So yes. And, and many times that I've been on the phone that I'm getting into my conversation, even just being in the house or with the kids, we're all home now uh, doing this, this quarantine through this quarantine and realizing how much it takes to, to be here in this zoom, in this conversation. So yeah, this makes a lot of sense to me and, and the research behind it, I totally want to find this. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to send it to you. Yeah. Because it does. I I mean, recently I saw even on, um, on Instagram that now, Hey guys, you know, social media, these platforms are, are taking into consideration where your eyes are going, right. While you're watching these 15 second little videos. So there's a reason, you know, these, these big companies want to know where are eyes going? What, what are we paying attention to? So this just all connects right now for me. So um, thank you for bringing that to our attention. And, and I do want to stop for a minute to, to go back to your, so you said three years, probably about three years prior to losing, to losing your father um, and this tragic uh, quick uh, way that he was taken. Um, but three years prior. So were you, um, doing it for fun? Was it, was it more of like, you know, a social activity for you or, or were you very active in high school and college with sports or was it just something for fun? Well, I should, uh, clarify. It was actually three years prior to my finding the list that I started running. Oh, it was three years prior to that. Yeah. So I'm a very late bloomer. (laughs) But I love that. That's fantastic. (laughs) So it was three years prior. And so you So it was, was yeah, it was was like 10 years after he died that I started. Wow, Laura, that's amazing. That's amazing. And it it is. Let's hear it it for the old runners. (laughs) Well, I, 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 I mean, I did field hockey in high school, but I wasn't a, I didn't, I didn't adore running at all. I hated it. Um, which is probably why I was in JV for a really long time. Um, but that's okay. Like it didn't start until I was in my thirties that, um, I needed, I needed it. If that makes sense to you. Right. That makes complete sense to me. And, and it's funny. Cause just the other day, um, an editor I've been working with said something like, Oh, I've always been strong and an athlete. And I was like, wait, 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 <laughs> like, wait a minute. Like, don't think for a second that like every single list item that I check off isn't like a complete side surprise to me, <laughs> you wow. know, like that I was somehow, you know, um, some kind of divine intervention able to do this. But I mean, you know, I should say the reality is um, I am athletic. I was inclined to be athletic um, as a kid. And, you know, even going into like high school, I mean, I was technically on the basketball team when I was a freshman, I was on the tennis team JV, but I think like most girls, it just was sort of, um, I don't know, like coaxed out of me Mm. (laughs) by, by society, by being a teenager, (laughs) like this isn't what I need to do anymore. Um, and, and it's, I just, now I think it's such a shame that that happens because, you know, by the time I was 35, I, I, like you said, I, I needed it. I needed to be doing this. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, it just really set everything into motion for me. Um, it, I think for me, it was like just an amazing way for me to process grief. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I started running because, uh, actually my brother was dating a girl at that time who was a runner and she had invited me to a 5k birthday party. 
And I was just kind of like, oh God, like I'm gonna like be horrible. <laughs> okay. Birthday party. Who does that? Yeah, she was well, she was very into it. And you know, it was one of those color 5Ks. So I was like, oh, we're gonna have like powder thrown on us to be rainbow colored. That's pretty awesome. So I remember thinking very distinctly, like, okay, like look like Googling, okay, well, what's the average mile? you know, mileage for a, like a woman, you know, and I, I think I found somewhere like, you know, or average pace, like 10 minute mile. So I was like, okay, I just have to do that. <laughs> like I have to, yeah. cause when I started, I was like a 13 minute mile, I think. Um, so I gradually just trained for it that summer for three months. And then that ended up being canceled. But by then I was already hooked because I'd been doing it twice a week for three months um, in the gym at work. So then I just went ahead and signed up for my first turkey trot. And it was really crazy because like the day after we did the turkey trot, uh, my brother, <laughs> he knocked on the bedroom door and he's like, you're in the newspaper. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah, well, it turned out there was this guy who was running right in front of my stepbrother and me who had like one of those big turkeys on his head. <laughs> you know, wear this turkey hat. So of course, yes. of course they're going to photograph that so you guy. Made it. You made it. You made it in can, there. You can see me right behind him, like fumbling with my earbuds. Like I always do at <laughs> the beginning of every race. And I was like, I was like, geez, if that's what happens, I'm never going to stop running. But I mean, mm. that ended up being true because then it was like, you know, I had to just keep, keep doing the next challenge just because mm. I just wanted to see if I could do it. So it's like, I found out my sister-in-law was going to do the Philadelphia rock and roll half marathon. And I thought, gosh, well, if she can do that, maybe I should try to do that. But, you know, when I signed up, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. Like I can only do three miles. Like when you can only do three, it's like 13 just feels like an eternity. Absolutely. You know? And then yes. it's like, it just kind of kept going from there. And next thing I knew really only like two years after I started doing five Ks, I was signing up for the New York marathon. Mm, wow. That's incredible to me. Yeah. That's and I, I, I just think, you know, there's such a mental component to running and, and there's such a, um, there's such a component of it that is like, I think you talk about this sometimes, uh, having that space and time to yourself. Yeah. And I think as someone who I was at that point, like I said, 10 years out from this trauma that I had experienced with, with my father dying the way he did, I think I was someone who just really kind of repressed that stuff. You know, like I said, I didn't really talk about it with people. It felt like this fluke thing that had happened. Um, I'd only recently found out, well, maybe it wasn't such a fluke. Maybe there are things that you can do that can prevent this from happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think I was ready to deal with it. I think I was ready to process those feelings. And really, you know, I think up to that point in time, I was living in such a way that I was like surviving. Hmm. like this bad thing happened. I can't do anything about it. It feels like it almost like separated my life into two different halves. Yeah. And I just have to make it through the rest of my life and still try to have a good life despite this thing that happened. Yeah. But that wasn't really making me very happy. And I think the reason for that is I was just like doing something despite something that happened to me when what I needed to be doing was living a life because of what happened to me. Hmm. You know, it's wow. like, that's, that's my why. Yeah. And I just love this because listening to you say that for me is so much going off in my head. I, I, as you were explaining to, to, to us, what, what you're experiencing, I realized your father was taken so suddenly. It, it wasn't something where, you know, you had, and not to, not to say that this is easier because it's not, but um, my father was, had kidney failure. I was 22. And 
then he got a kidney transplant and within four months uh, of, or three months of being in the hospital, we lost him. But we had, I look at those moments now, but it took also a very long journey to get here to look back and say, we had those three months with him and going through the process of losing him and being there with him. And so listening to you and hearing what you're talking about and also having so many people right now that are going through so much in this pandemic um, with family members that go into the hospital, they don't get to go with them. You weren't able to be there. You weren't able to, to have an opportunity to say goodbye, you know? And, and then all of a sudden you, you're back, you know, back, work is real life is, is happening. Sometimes, you know, people, friends and family members are supportive, but I think, would you say, and, I, and maybe this is just me, but I almost feel like after about a month of losing my, my mom in 2018, it was almost like, okay, you know, that life is still going on. Kids need to go back to school. Things need to get back. And, but I wasn't ready. I was like, well, wait, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to just get back in the groove, but yet we have to. And so sometimes we just stuff it down. And so running, it sounds like for you kind of gave you that peace and that time to connect with whatever it is that you experienced and didn't get to like feel right after. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think it was two things. I think it was, you know, running, running in itself has a way of uh, like what it does to your body is it just makes you comfortable with pain. Yeah. You know, like the, the runner's high that you get, but also yeah. like you, you learn that, okay, my muscles are sore, but that means they're getting stronger. And that means I'll be better for the next run. And, I, and I'm not afraid of this. Like, I think people think about someone doing a marathon and it's like, oh my God, that's, that's so insane. And that must hurt so much. And it's like, they don't think about the fact that, well, no, this person trained for six months to get to that level. Mm -hmm. So it's not hurting as much as you think it is, even though, yeah, it does still hurt, hurt quite yeah. a bit. But, yes. you know, you train yourself for it. And, and also you're training your mind um, to not have the fear and to actually you're you're embracing the uh, the joy of doing something like that and the joy yeah. of trying something new and scary. Um, so I think there's that element of it that it actually physically, biologically speaking, is it is making you more comfortable with pain. Mm. But um, the other part of it, though, I think for me was that you know, I was pretty athletic as a child. I, I did love to run as a little girl. You know, I did love to play like every single sport as a little girl. And that was a connection I had with my father. Mm. So it's sort of like, here I am this adult who's trying to like live up to all these adult rites of passage and mm. finding this thing that connected me with him, but also connected me with who I once was, which is like myself at a more innocent age. Yeah. So I think that was why it was so incredibly therapeutic for me. And even today, it's still a thing that when I do it, it's like, I'm really, I think doing it from my, my heart more than anything else, it, you know, obviously in a physical way, but also yeah. <laughs> metaphorically speaking, because it just, it just makes me feel good. And it makes me less wrapped up in myself and worried about my own problems and, and more inclined to be generous. Um, and, you know, I think when I started the list, it just became this thing where 
you know, I don't, and, and it's interesting because it makes sense that you would say, oh, he was tragically taken from you or this tragic thing that happened, but I don't even think about it that way anymore. Like I used to think about it like that. And mm-hmm. it was to the point where it was actually, like I said, I didn't talk about it. It was very difficult when I did talk about it because I, in my brain, I'm thinking, well, this is this horrible thing and it makes me sad and I'm scared to talk about something that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as the running was making me more comfortable with pain, physically speaking, I think it was making me com- more comfortable with pain, emotionally speaking as well. And, you know, the more I told that story, the more, you know, accepting I became of it. And, you know, the interesting thing with the list, when his bucket list showed up on the scene is that, you know, I had been a run- both a runner and an advocate for three years. They both happened at the same time, which I don't think is a coincidence at all. Um, and, I felt like the way I was doing it wasn't really working. Like I knew the science behind why people do this and you know how it affects other drivers on the road, like I just shared with you. Yeah. Um, it helped me to have that closure of forgiving the girl because, you know, yeah. for all I know, she couldn't even see the red light. Right. And nope, she didn't know that because nobody told her, hey, if you pick up that phone, you're not gonna see something up right in front of you. I mean, yeah. I remember she even said in the in the court, she's like, it was green. Wow. And she didn't seem like she was lying. She seemed like she really, she, that's she was, what she was she crying. Thought. Yeah, that's she really she believed thought. it because there's a blackout effect that happens. So I, in that moment, I completely forgave her. So I had closure for that. And, you know, I, I was kind of being taught, which is what happens uh, when you get this kind of training. Here's how you tell your story. Um, you know, here's how you tell about this tragic thing and make it impactful and people will hear this and then it'll make them change their behavior. So that's what I'd been doing. And I really... I just started seeing the numbers still going up. People are doing this more. Um, notice, you know, you see people doing it in their cars. And yeah. oh, it, yeah. was, it was like, it felt so insurmountable to me, you know, like in some ways, like, why did I even get involved in this? <laughs> because right. this feels like such a losing It was like battle. an endless, yeah, it was like a huge mountain. Like, how am I ever gonna get to the top of that or, or make such a huge difference when everything that... As you go on, I think of every car now, it's like, that's one of the selling points. Like what kind of, what kind of connection does it have? So we can stay connected the entire time. Right. Well, I mean that plug in your phone, if you use your phone and to plug in the battery, it pops up on the screen. Now it's almost like a little screen inside your car app. What is it? Car play or something like that. And so you're right. It's, it's all geared to, which would be so simple to just remove that. I mean, that's just, that's consumerism at its finest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, for real. That is, I mean, I've, yeah. I talked to a reporter once who called someone at, you know, I honestly forget which car company it was, but they had said to her, you know, Hey, I know you care about stopping people from being distracted while driving, but um, I mean, that's, you can't really stop that. That's impossible because humans are humans, but mm-hmm. like, I know you care about safe driving. Right. Um, and, and you would prefer it if people weren't using uh, phones as much as they are. But what they said to her was, hey, you know, millennials love their computers and that's our market and we need to keep that market. So wow. we're going to just preach this, these cars as though they're yeah. computers as much as we can. Because, you know, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Well, that's now, now, they're, <laughs> now, now they're not going to have to drive. Like now cars are like automatic coming out, which scares me. Uh, it does. Uh, it scares me as a cyclist. <laughs> it scares me as a, as a driver myself. I like driving, um, which 
connects both things right there, you know, cycling here in Miami is, is extremely dangerous to cycle. I, I can't stand, uh, actually cycling, um, in certain areas and prefer to go, um, South head South to Homestead, um, or going to central Florida, Claremont area, because it's just, it's too, too many cars, too many, too many people just distracted. And, and so this connects on both sides, especially in triathlon, because we need, we've lost, we've lost so many people, um, here on the roads and from distracted drivers. And, um, so as you've gone through your, you know, and I'll put a link for you guys to, to go onto your blog. Um, my father's list is, is an amazing blog that you have. Um, you, tell us uh, about your list that this list that you found. And as you've gone through, it's taken you down. Um, it actually makes me emotional just thinking about it because the, some of the things that you've done on this list, what a connection with, you know, with your dad. That's so I mean, beautiful. It's, it's has changed my life. It's in so many, so many ways. And, and really, you know, when I talk now about that early advocacy I was doing, it's, I almost feel like I'm talking about a different person mm. because that's so not who I am anymore. Um, I, I understand that that was the initial step for me yeah. into it because I was, you know, I am a journalist still. I am a very analytical thinker. Mm-hmm. I, needed, I needed this stuff presented to me in science and stats, you know, <laughs> I need, I needed to feel like oh, I'm going to end this, you know, <laughs> Because I'm also, I'm also very ambitious. I'm very determined. I, I saw a post you wrote the other day about Irish determination. I'm like, yeah, maybe that's what it is. You know, so <laughs> my dad was so Irish. Um, and that's just uh, such a hallmark of who I am. But, mm. uh, but you know, it just, the, the emotion of it wasn't working for me um, because it almost, I almost felt kind of like I was still running in place. Like, like before that, you know, I was going a little bit faster <laughs> yeah. than I was. I was for 10 yeah. years, but I wasn't getting anywhere. Like I was running from mm. something. I wasn't yeah. running to something. I'm sure I'm giving you way too many cliches here, but, um, no, but that's true. I, yeah. I think the issue is, you know, when, when you're running, when you're running a race, like you're very intentional about it, you know, like you're very, you're going towards something. You're working towards a goal. You're not, you're not advocating to stop. Like you're advocating yeah. you to go. And, and there's a lot with, with distracted driving, like I like to say, I'm an awareness advocate because yeah, I'm raising awareness or I'm a safe driving advocate. I don't like to say that I'm someone who's advocating to stop it or yeah. to end it because then you're saying, uh, you know, the, when you put something out into the universe, that's like, I don't want this. The law of attraction says that universe doesn't hear that don't part. They just hear, I want this. Mm. So you can actually attract more of it towards you. And, you know, wow. Like the more I was like, oh, I'm so mad that I see these people doing this thing, then the more the universe was going to present me with people doing that thing. Mm-hmm. And with the list, I think it just arrived at exactly the right time because, like I said, I was feeling kind of bummed out that maybe the advocacy I was doing wasn't totally working. And I also always felt like the stuff that I'm doing, talking about his death, like that's just not who he was. My dad was this like larger than life person who just loved being alive, you know, and to find this, his list and see these like 60 items that he wrote down at the age of 29. That's when he wrote it, the year I was born, um, that he wanted to do. It just reminded me 
God, he just had such a rich life and he had, he had so many dreams and I knew instantly, like, I have to do this. I have to finish it. It just appeared in my head. And, um, it just, it changed my advocacy forever because, you know, it, I just started having so much fun (laughs) (laughs) doing these list items. Cause I mean, my, my, my initial thought was, okay, maybe it's not enough to just tell a story about how he died. Like maybe, I need to have the person I'm talking to really like identify with this, like, like almost feel like this could be their dad. And the only way I could do that, I thought was if I actually told a really uh, compelling, interesting story on its own merit so that people would kind of get lost in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I started to get lost in it because it was just like, you know, while it started for advocacy, it started becoming about, these things that I needed to work on in myself, in my life, like every list item Mm -hmm. has such a lesson to it. You know, like I always somehow end up flat on my face in some (laughs) some humiliating way or another. Well, there's some things here that you have uh, (laughs) communicated that I want to, I want to talk about the list because one of the things that you put on here was, um, and, and as a parent, I, I, I thank you for putting this out there because it brought awareness to me as a mom um, what am I, what, what, what things are on my list, you know, because at some point in our lives, uh, we all, um, we all have goals and we all have dreams and for you to find that list and connect with him. Um, it's just so inspiring. So I really appreciate you sharing it with all of us. Cause it could have been just between you and your brother and you could have kept it just for yourself. Um, and gotten to know yourself and gotten to reignite that connection with your dad, but you shared it with us. So I appreciate that so much. And the, the thing that cracked me up was, was the suit that you talk about that was on the list. So tell us a little bit about, um, the thing that he put on there for his, which cracked me up. Cause I'm like, it's true to have your 29 year old father self write this list and you take it at this point in your life and go through and have to check these off, it's kind of like, let's see, it says own a $200 suit. What did you, what did you take away from that? Right. So it, it was a tough well, suit. Suits were a lot less expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they're actually own a black tux is a different item, but, um, I, I oh, so it was I, own a suit for $200 mm-hmm. and then the tux was separate. And it's funny. Cause when you look at the list, you can see sort of what his thought process was because he starts with make money on the stock market. And then it's like every item after that is like, you know, progressively more and more what he's going to do with that money. <laughs> it's like it. own, own our own house, have my own tennis court, you know, like give, you know, <laughs> help, help Laura win a scholarship. And, you know, and, it, and it's just like, I, I like the fact that he wanted to start a charitable fund and he mm-hmm. wrote that before, you know, stuff like drive a Corvette. Um, but I do think that's where to own a $200 suit came from. I think it's like, yeah. he just started thinking about, well, okay, well, what am I going to buy with the money? And, um, <laughs> you know, for uh, one of the things I started doing, mo- I think mostly after the first year of checking off the list is I really just started embracing it as my own. So mm-hmm. I started, you know, making the list items my own and thinking, well, how would I do this? And, and I have sometimes actually even thought to myself, maybe the list is sort of karmically attached to me if, mm-hmm. if it was written the year I was born, you know, I have like such goosebumps. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> like someone said to me once, oh, he probably was thinking about his mortality because he just had a child. 
So it's like it came to it into existence the same time I did. Um, and for $200 suit, I thought, well, try suits are $200. And, and I had just started learning about try because I had a friend who did it from college and she had invited me to like a, a women's triathlon group on, on Facebook. And I was just really curious about it because I'd done the New York marathon and I just felt like it was the next challenge. And, um, you know, the thing that really, uh, the thing that really set it in stone for me that I needed to do this, well, you know, nothing's ever set in stone, right? But the thing that really made me feel like uh, determined about it um, was I actually, uh, I was at, um, I was at a get together and I found out that someone I loved was still texting and driving. Mm. And I had a very embarrassing reaction to it. Um, I got very angry. Um, I, I like to think I was being firm. <laughs> Not, not crazy, but you know, I just, I, I felt really bummed out afterwards yeah. because I, I was not happy with how I behaved. Um, this is a person I love very much. And, you know, I, I, I prioritize being an advocate over being a family member in that moment. And I thought, well, that's crazy. Cause aren't I doing this for family? I mean, that's right. the whole thing. And my dad wouldn't be happy about that. And, um, I kept telling my husband, you know, I he, like, he knows the science. I've, I've, ta I've taught everybody the science, like what I just shared with you. Mm. And it occurred to me for the first time, well, maybe it's not enough. Maybe, maybe someone needs to actually feel inspired to make a change in their lives. Maybe when you just tell someone to do it, you know, like, like things are so individual, like what, what makes us make these changes. And especially if something seems condoned by, by culture, it's like, it's really hard to shake yourself free of it, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, and my husband said to me, um, you know, well, I've told you the science about animal rights and factory farming and, and you're still eating animals. <sighs> and I was like, that's so, it just clicked in me how true that was. Wow. My husband is this really great, um, vegan photographer, um, and uh, like he takes pictures for vegan magazines and mm -hmm. um, he had been a vegan for eight years at that point. And I had really just been reluctant to go all the way with it, with him. I used to joke like, oh yeah, it's probably going to happen someday. But part of the reason why I didn't do it was because I thought it would make me not as strong as a runner. Cause wow. I just, I, I, you know, I they had preconceived, that, you know, yeah. information about protein and yep. all of that jazz. And so, wow. So that conversation, like even you <laughs> repeating that I could feel like myself going, well, okay. I'm <laughs> going to have to look at that. Yeah, right? And I, and I was scared. I couldn't do it. I thought, mm -hmm. well, not even just could I do it, but do I really want to do this? Mm -hmm. Like, do I care enough about this? And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I never tell anyone, you know, like, like I said, I'm not a big fan of telling people what they should do. Um, I think your diet is very individual. Um, mm -hmm. you have to do what works for you. So, yeah. so when I said, I'm going to try to do this, it was sort of like an experiment. Like I was open to the idea that, okay, well, if this isn't working for me, then it's okay for me to try something else. Mm, good. But, but I did really like the idea of, okay, well, here's something that I a hundred percent agree with him about. Like I've been educated by him. I, I love him and I believe that it's true. And I think maybe I'm feeling conflicted because I'm not living by that. Mm. And like the day before, like I said, we were at like a, a, a party and my mom said to somebody, Laura really lives by her beliefs. And I was like, well, that's nice. I, I hope that's true. <laughs> and I, when my husband said this to me, I thought, you know what? I'm not, I'm not totally living by them. And mm. uh, I just made this decision. Okay. I'm going to do this. Uh, 
because I think kind of making that choice to change your diet in that way, I think there's some similarities to distracted driving. I think it's sort of like people can wholeheartedly believe, yeah, you know, I'm a considerate person and I'm compassionate and I don't want to endanger anybody. Right. because I'm going somewhere and I'm busy and I want to check my phone. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that's, that's an act of convenience for people. And so I've heard so many people say, yeah, I agree. I think being vegan is a great idea, but it's so inconvenient. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just finally clicked for me, like, oh, that's what this is. And, yeah. and what, what I think I want to do instead of sort of telling people, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. I think it's similar to what I do with the list. I think it's just like, no, I think maybe what I'm going to do is be the change I want to see. Maybe what I need to do is demonstrate these things I believe in and demonstrate someone who is living by their beliefs, you know, and, 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 you know, show, portray it as um, I'm happier this is working for me. Like I'm a person who makes choices that are intentional. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everything really changed with my advocacy after that. And, and I decided the same day that I went vegan, I said, yeah, I'm going to be vegan and I'm going to do an Ironman. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because people wow. just don't believe that that's possible. You know, that's so true. That's so true. So that was the defining moment for you in going yeah. down that road. But there was something that you had checked off well, had you checked off this on your list already of, of uh, the list, I'm sorry, on his list that now is your list um, of swimming across the river? Because you, yeah. you said something um, that, that he had put that on the list that I'm going to swim across a river, which like, which <laughs> one? And like, yeah. oh God. That's yeah, that, that, was, that was sort of how I justified it in my head. Like, you know, not only will this be a great demonstration of, of, you know, the perks of veganism, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, part of why I finally believed that you could be an athlete and be vegan and be successful is because my husband had become a runner and I had, and he has pretty severe asthma. So I had actually watched him overcome that. And, and it was because a lot of it was his diet. A lot of it was, you know, some of the, the great guidance and books that he was, that he was reading, but mm. he demonstrated it for me. So I thought, okay, well, I can do this then. And, um, you know, I thought, I thought to myself, Hey, I've already kind of done all the components of, of a triathlon <laughs> because <laughs> the, like you said, I swam the width of a river. That was exactly how my dad wrote it. Um, and he wrote that one just after run 10 miles straight. And I had done that, which that actually was new for me because, you know, I'm a big runner walker when I do mm-hmm. these, these races. Yeah. And I, I did, I determined run 10 miles straight to mean just not, not stopping. Yeah. You know, not walking at all. So I had done that in the LA marathon. Um, and I had actually cycled 54 miles in Tucson. That, that one was just like a charity event I was doing to help a friend, but, um, it ended up being something where I said, well, maybe this is how I'm going to lose four inches from my waist. <laughs> and that actually didn't happen. <laughs> no, if no. anything, I think, I think I gained an inch, you know, just I'm putting on muscle on my, my thighs, you know, from, yes. from cycling so much. But, uh, so I learned, <laughs> I was like a rude awakening about cycling, but, um, <laughs> And actually, you know, when I run, I put on muscle too. So that's not a great way to lose inches from your waist. No. But um, the thing that did end up helping me lose those four inches was my vegan diet. Mm. So. And incorporating all of that. I think that's so, to me, that's really impressive. And um, I would love uh, to get some of those, those pointers that, you know, maybe you and your husband have as far as beginners that are listening to this uh, or people coming back into 
you know, more mindfulness of their health. And if they're interested in, in learning more about um, how to become vegan, because I think just like anything, the how to's like, you're basically changing the way that you normally do things. So if, if, if there's a way, if there's books or if there's things that worked for you guys, um, I would love to, to, to have some of that information for, for our listeners so that they can see that this is something that you can transition to. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like anything. I mean, if you, if you say, okay, night and day, I'm just going to do this. It might be a little overwhelming, but to see that there's a process and there's a way, especially if we're training, um, physically, because our body is going to go through these, these, you you know, desires for things, these cravings, but by replacing it with, uh, something that's healthy and nutritious and filling, um, you're, you're still accomplishing what your body is kind of programmed to tell you it needs. Um, so I love that. And that you were doing this as you went along with, with basically a triathlon, that's pretty much a triathlon that you've completed. Um, maybe not on the same day, but the training was there. So you said, I'm going to do an Ironman. And now you had said that, um, your husband, so he is, he a triathlete as well. He is because, um, I, we decided we were going to do it together. And I just, I just really love that. Um, because I, you know, he has been my biggest helper with the Mm -hmm. list and he, when we found it and I said, I have to do this, he said it simultaneously, you know, which is good because he ended up being that person. (laughs) He's your Sherpa. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I just love the idea of, of that because mm. the other thing that was really going through when we found my dad's list was I was really feeling, um, kind of an identity crisis. Uh, you know, like I said, in those years leading up to finding it, I was running, um, mm-hmm. you know, not only was I running and being an activist, I was finally getting my writing published. Um, I was finally being brave enough to tell stories about my dad and, and about, you know, um, like publishing these essays that I had actually sort of written right after he died, but didn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was amazing to me how quickly they would get published. Like usually when you're a writer, you get accustomed to rejection and that there was like some magic to this, like that wasn't happening. And I was starting to feel a lot of, um, I think it started even when I was planning my wedding, just this idea of like, well, this is the perfect wife and the perfect bride. And you know what society does to us as women, mm-hmm. like you really want to fit into this mold. And yeah. I was even feeling anxiety about like, I would say to my husband, like, God, like, I'm not going to just be this wife type person. <laughs> like all of a sudden, you know, like we've been dating yeah. 10 years. I still want to be me. And you would be yeah. like, great. I really want you to be you. <laughs> like, I want you to be more <laughs> of you. Like, that's why I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. And Um, I think I was feeling a little bit disillusioned about like, well, what, you know, like, does, like, like, does my identity go away now because I'm a wife? Like, what is society, you know, like, what is society saying I'm supposed to be? And, you know, Hillary Clinton was running for president around the same time. And there was a lot of talk about sexism in the air. So I think it just was really front of mind for me. So to find my dad's list and be like, oh, I'm going to do these things a man wanted to do you know, and, and my husband's going to do this stuff with me and he's going to do an Ironman with me. And it just, it felt like, well, this isn't what newlyweds are supposed to do. (laughs) Oh yes. But I, here I'm sitting on the other side of this. And of course I'm on the other side of of something else too. Personally, I'm, I'm going through a divorce after 15 years of marriage, but listening to you say that, um, I, it tells me, yes, like, yes, go for that list. Yes. Go for that piece of yourself. 
and for him to to be supportive of that and also find himself on that journey with you and more of who he is too. Like, I, I think that that is maybe you're pre you're pre writing the, the uh, a lot of things that new couples should go through, you know, because as I look back and I see, you know, I, I go through certain areas of looking at that relationship, uh, which was actually a 20 year relationship and so many things change. I changed so many different, uh, in so many different ways. So did he, but listening to you say that it, it is true. We go through so many different changes, the role changes, but staying true, oops, staying true to, to ourselves along that journey can be sometimes tough when we're giving ourselves to our job or we're giving ourselves to, um, anybody else who we're trying to, to, to make sure is happy, where's the time for ourselves to stay connected. So I love that you might, you know, maybe you're already got the how to's of, of the beginning part of your relationship. Like, it sounds like that was a really great journey to be on together. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I have to say, I kind of bow down before you with this because you just exemplify it. I mean, with, with some of the things I've seen that you've written about, um, you know, some of your posts and the things I've heard you talk about, I just think she's, she gets it, <laughs> you no. know, like you're, you're like, you have to do things for yourself. You have to believe in yourself. You have to do things that are enriching for your life that are just for you. Because, you know, as you're talking about this, what I keep thinking about is there's no monetary value to being true to yourself. Hmm. There just isn't, you're not doing it for status. You're not like you would in a career, perhaps you're not doing it for, you know, how much financial success you might have. It really, it's like just something you're doing because it's just healthy and, and part of finding your purpose, you know, part of, as Jesse Itzler would say, your life resume, you know, and I think going on this journey to do my dad's list opened me up to that. Um, because so much of it is like, you know, he just wanted to do this stuff because it was fun you know, and, and he liked it and, and it wasn't like, oh, it's going to put me somewhere in life or help me feel good about who I am. And I think so often, so often in our relationships, not even just marriage, but just relationships, it's like, we start to over identify with, well, you know, how is this relationship making me look to the outside world? And, you know, well, did my husband buy me flowers on Valentine's day? Cause if he didn't, then what does that say about my worth? You know, as a wife or as a girlfriend, if I see like all these other women in the yeah. office have flowers, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's so crazy. Maybe, maybe he gave you some amazing art he made. Right. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not how love is supposed to work. It's mm. not def- supposed to be defining who you are or your worth as a person. And, yeah. um, I think, you know, he already was that type of a person who is just so authentic and, and not like, you know, just, just almost anti-conformist, like, like just not, doesn't, doesn't hold, hold tight to what society says he's supposed to be. But I think, you know, if you really feel like, okay, well, if I have all these things that I'm being told I'm supposed to have as an adult in my life, then the happiness will follow like the happiness will just find me because I feel like I'm living up to these things. I think oftentimes people end up very disappointed when they do that because they're not following that road that's unique to them. They're just thinking, well, as long as I'm being safe here and and doing what's expected of me, that's enough. When what you could be doing is saying, boy, I'm just going to follow my curiosity or, um, you know, I'm going to follow my heart. Um, 
I'm going to run this just because I want to see what it feels like. I want to see if I can do it. Like, I think it does right. something to you when you do that. It just, it opens you up to discovery. And, and I think at a certain age, it, it starts to become harder and harder for people to do that. So, so that it real definitely is one of the main blessings, I think, of this experience for me. Yeah. And in your, uh, and you touched on it when you said that you, you've made this list a connection for yourself and, and altered some of the things that he wrote, because again, you, you know, you, you're not a 29 year old man, um, in 1978. <laughs> so you've definitely, you know, made it, uh, uh, altered it to yourself, um, putting yourself in there. And I really like that because I, as I was listening, I was thinking to myself, you know, yeah. Do you feel a pressure once you started on this journey? Have you had to like, you know, especially I'm sure, you know, in this pandemic and everything. And, and it was interesting. You did say that he put on there that I want to accomplish this by 2020. He wrote that. Like, isn't that, isn't that, that crazy? That gives me like, <laughs> like, again, so many goosebumps, like the heavy, like, yeah. oh my gosh. And then you're hit with a pandemic. So obviously there's so many other things that were going on in your world. And to know that your husband, um, you know, has asthma and you have to be extremely careful. Um, how did that, did you have moments that you were like, God, is this not supposed to happen? Like, what do you, what, what do you want from me universe? But then go back to like, wait a minute, you know, what was I mean, the purpose of this? You know, I so mean, this, this really taps into what I was saying a second ago about this idea of if I can just live up to what people think I'm supposed to do, then I'll be happy because, you yeah. know, I, I have severe ADD and I'm one of those people who's just been like 10 or 20 minutes late for everything my whole life. And, and it's been something, I'm also a perfectionist on top of that by nature. So, um, it's been something that has just dogged me forever because I, you know, I'm, I'm this very like conscientious person and very organized, but at the same time, like time just gets away from me. Mm. So to realize, okay, I had set this four-year deadline for myself to finish oh this. this thing. And now, now I'm not yeah. going to meet it. <laughs> it was like, oh no, <laughs> you know, like it's mm -hmm. my worst, my worst nightmare right. is coming true. I'm, I'm going to be incompetent, you know, even at this <laughs> and, and of, of course, like, you know, being late to things doesn't make you incompetent. Um, but it just was something that was a real, I, I viewed as a real character flaw for me. And it, that, that really plays on what we were talking about earlier about, you know, if you focus too much on what you don't want to have happen, oftentimes the universe will give you just yeah. that. You know, yeah. so I was one of those people running around. I don't want to be late. And then, you know, what the universe hears is I want to be late. <laughs> like you just, you create <laughs> your own problems. <laughs> yeah. Like you create your own problems. And, and I think there was some mm. of that going on actually at the beginning of 2020 for me, I was doing a lot. I had like 20 items left to go, or maybe more than that, slightly more than that. Mm. And I was going to the Super Bowl and I was posing in of this black tux and this fancy like photography studio. And um, I was flying to St. Thomas literally the day after the Super Bowl, which was right, you know, down there in Miami where yeah. you are. Yeah. Coming very jet setter. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. That's true. So you were there at the Super Bowl. I was there uh, as well, building the stage at the bottom. Are you down. serious? Yeah. So that's so cool that to hear you say that, um, that gives again, like, whoa, that's our, so crazy. our path somehow like crossed, even though we didn't, we didn't even know that that's really cool. And I, I remember being there, um, my very good friend, Debbie LaPlante said, we're going to the Super Bowl," And I'm like, I don't have that kind of like connection or tickets or money or anything. And she's like, no, we're, we're going to be volunteers. We're going to build the stage. And I go, 
okay, what does that mean commitment wise? It was, Laura, if you ever, uh, if we can go back to building stages again for Super Bowl, which this year, the same group um, did it differently, as you could tell, um, meaning that they, they weren't really down there when they got down there. Those were the dancers and the people that were all together. Um, I would totally say, um, add this to your, to your dad's list, add this to your list because the, the community in which gets hundreds of people to put these stages together, together in six minutes and then break it down and take it off. We became such a team. They put us with a random group of other individuals that we didn't know. And a matter of two weeks, we have to like get a lot, we have to get, we have to like each other. (laughs) Okay. And then you have a leader of each platform. That's thousands of pounds. Like these platforms are so thousands of pounds. They're moving. Once you're getting moving, you have to really pay attention. You can't see where you're going. You have to listen to your leader. It, It forced me to, to depend on others that I don't know in such a wonderful way in such a short period of time. And then you forget like, oh, that's JLo and Shakira. You forget like there's millions of people watching and you get out there, the Super Bowl is finally going on and you're, oh my gosh, this, this, it's amazing. An amazing experience that they do. Um, I never knew that they opened it up to the public to come um, to be part of. And I mean, I met so many humble, humbling, uh, people that I'm still connected with since that experience. And I'm grateful for it. I was grateful for that opportunity that she said, we're going to go do this. Um, and how cool that you were there. Like, what was that like? (laughs) What was that like for you to, to experience that? Well, I mean, I want to touch on something you said that I really connected with it um, in a second, but, but can I ask you first, is that something that people from out of state could have been able to do? Yes. Yes. Are you kidding? There were people (laughs) from everywhere and they do this every year. So my friend and I felt like, like we were like, like the freshmen showing up and there were people that were like, we were there seven years ago. Yeah, we did that one. And they, there's like this inside underground a Super Bowl platform builder group that they all know each other. They all get together. They sign up. Um, and this year was really sad because, I mean, great that we were able to have a Super Bowl and great that we were able to to, to have a, a halftime show in the middle of all this craziness. But it was sad to know that all the people that also, um, there is a group of volunteers and then there's a group that they do um, pay they do pay individuals to come and be part of like our leader uh, was a paid, you know, um, leader of each group that they break you into. And that they're hardworking people. This is probably his third job that he was doing. And, and it, it really humbled all of us. Like we, there was so many walks of life and backgrounds and you're laughing. Yes. And, and it was just, no, no, no. I'm laughing at myself because, because I could have you- saved myself thousands of dollars. <laughs> Well, now, you know, and you will, uh, the next time that we can come back to this, um, oh, man, I'm ready to do it. Well, we're going, we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> we'll do it. And I could get to go twice. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what was it like for me? It was like, uh, I'll tell you, I made friends <laughs> very quickly. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. sitting there by myself, but these two men were sitting there with their sons next mm-hmm. to me. 
And it was very poignant to me because I felt like I was there with my dad too. That's awesome. Like it was okay that I was there by myself because my dad was there. I wasn't really by myself, but they were just like, you know, I told them my, like why I was there. Um, And it it was funny because one was just wasted, you know, like he was just so drunk. Um, So he took a bunch of selfies with me, you know, and he had, he had like won the ticket through a lottery or something. So he felt like the luckiest guy in the world. And then the other guy, I think misunderstood when I was like, yeah, I'm not like a huge football fan, but here's why I'm doing this. Cause he just kind of like, when I would try to talk to him about the game, he would start explaining to me how football works. So you're getting a lesson. Yeah, I was like, I know I'm female, but <laughs> like I, I do, I do understand. <laughs> I do it's understand okay. what's Thanks happening so much. Yeah. I and just thought that was adorable. How old were the sons? Well, the, it was actually the son of someone who was explaining to me how football works. I think he was like 30 or something, but oh, he, he had like a newborn daughter. So I think he kind of connected with what I was doing. And then the Aww. other guy, his son, I think was like a teenager and he was so just embarrassed that his dad was so drunk. It was really funny. <laughs> his dad, his oh, dad yeah. did get a little bit handsy, but, um, but anyway, all I was saying before is just that, um, you know, I want to touch on what you said about connecting with people. Like you said, I connected with strangers mm-hmm. and we, I just had to trust them like at a moment's notice. And I think like people ask me sometimes, like, what's your most rewarding list item? And, and I just have to say, it's really all of the ones where I have connected with a new person who I didn't know before. And, or even, you know, it's also the ones where I've connected with a family member in a new way or a friend in a new way. Um, because, those experiences are sort of like, you know, a a big part of why I stayed bottled up for a long time about my dad's grief or my dad's death and my grief about it was because it made me embarrassed. It made, because when you're 25, I mean, I think you can relate to this when you're very young and you lose a parent all of a sudden. And and for me, it was such a a unusual way that it happened. Um, People really can't relate to it. And there's a real isolation to that kind of experience. And after a while, I just thought, okay, I'm just not, I'm not even going to bring it up because I don't want to make people feel bad for me or to be almost like shocked by it. So it was a very lonely kind of thing. And to have all these people really show up for me, even strangers, it, it just healed that part of me that, that was, that just felt isolated for so long. And what, what actually eventually occurred to me was, I think in our society, people aren't, don't talk about grief a lot. They don't, like you said, like you're at work the next day, like, or a couple of days later, they, they don't, they don't think about grief as a natural part of life and something we should feel free to talk about. And so I don't blame the people for it. Um, but if you have something you're doing that is so positive and that is so just from the heart and just your intentions are hundred percent just to, to give to someone you love, people are really attracted to that. And, and I think even being involved in something and like, and that does something to them too. And, and it forced me because so many of the list items are things I need help with. And I need to talk to someone who has expertise and, you know, I'm not, I haven't like won the lottery, like I'm not a millionaire. So (laughs) it's really, really nice when people help me out. Um, Not that, I mean, I'll I'll restate that though. I never ask for financial help. That's one of my rules. Um, But if someone offers to do something, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm right. Fine to say no. Um, so the, just that experience has been so rewarding because there's just such uh it's like there's this, just this exchange that goes on with the person who's helping me. And 
Um, and, and, you know, that kind of aligns with what I was saying about like at the beginning of that year of, of 2020, I was really just rushing around and, and getting these things done. And it, and it started becoming like, well, is she or is she going to make her deadline? And I think what my dad probably wants me to know, because, you know, I, like I said, lots of people are helping me, but really I, I have such a connection to his spirit now in a way I didn't for 10 years. And he's helping me more than anyone. And I think what he wants me to know is that if you're going to do something, do it with joy, do it because you love it, do it because you're present and you're in the moment, not because you're trying to achieve something with it. Mm. You know, that was really starting to take away from what this is all about. So I, I mean, now it's like, I'm so happy I've had this time to slow down a little bit and to you know, to really, I have found a way this year to integrate who I am in my life and what the list is mm. because I was getting a little carried away with everything was about the list. Like all of the travel, my husband, cause you know, there's eight, I think there's eight travel items on it. We were just travel, all <laughs> really of our travel. travel. Was becoming, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're going to write a bucket list. You better yeah, put some good places on exactly. there. Exactly. But, you know, we were having these wonderful adventures that I write about in the book I'm writing about this. I mean, those are some of my favorite things to write about. But um, at the same time, it's like, you know, we're newlyweds and we love to travel anyway. And we, we needed trips that are just for us. So, mm. um, you know, I remember being in St. Thomas just for like three days and and talking about that. And I think having this time, even though we've been like you said, you said he does have severe asthma. So that means we're on the high risk category. So we, I haven't seen anybody I know in person since March. Mm. And at first that was very scary. I mean, I didn't know it was going to go on this long. Nobody did, but um, it was scary because, you know, so much of what I write about and, and experience with the list is this social interaction with people. It is this like, mm. you know, be present to your life. And I thought, <laughs> well, God, I'm not really doing that if I'm at home, am I? But um you know, I, I think, you know, there is just something to be said for taking time to be introspective and to think about things. And, and I think what the pandemic has really done to all of us, I mean, those of us who, you know, there have been some really tragic things that have happened during this time. And um, I'm not in any way trying to gloss over that. Um, but I do think that there have been elements of this time that have forced people to really see themselves and get in touch with who they are. And, and, and all of this time to yourself, it's like, it just forces these truths out of you mm-hmm. that you maybe didn't want to face. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it, it has had its, its purpose, like, like every, every list item really happens in its own time. You know, like one of the things I've done during the pandemic is plant an apple tree. And it turns out like yeah. that takes seven years. <laughs> So it's like, I better do the slow ones, you know, and um, I've, I've, I check on them every day. I have four little seedlings now. And, you know, and as someone who really has always, you know, since my parents' divorce, kind of been afraid of putting down roots, like, Mm. I just feel very symbolically, that's what that is for me. Like, I have found a comfort level this year, just in having a home and defining like, okay, this is our family. This Mm. is our life. You know, I don't have to try to live up to anybody else's definition of what our marriage is supposed to be. Yeah. You you get to, you get to create it yourself. And, and um, yeah, I saw you posting on that um, and I'll make sure I put all your, all your Instagram and information there. But I saw you posting about the apple ceiling. (laughs) Personally, I'm like, man, I, 
I miss apples. I miss, I miss going to an orchard <laughs> and mom would pull over and we'd get out and grab a bag from the farmer. Like I, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like that, but seven years. And, and that's, that's, a you're definitely putting down roots right there. That is a good commitment and, um, and beautiful and beautiful in itself. So, um, one of the, the last questions I want to ask is, um, I mean, obviously the, the why in, in everything that you are trying here, um, has definitely changed and, and transformed into something, um, or, or to use, you know, it's like a metamorphosis. Like it really is. It's kind of gone through this transition and, and come to something else each time. Um, is there, is there anything that you would like to, to add to those who are beginners or people that are coming in from taking a big hiatus? I mean, we've all kind of had a huge hiatus in, in, in coming into being physical, if they're going through grief, you know, I think you touched on it, but is there anything addition that you want to add? I know you talk a lot about mental health awareness and, and that's a very, very important, especially with everything that we're all going through in this world right now. Is there anything you want to add to that? I think just really, uh, and I say this all the time, no matter what someone asks me about my project, um, I think what matters the most is trusting yourself. Um, I think trusting yourself is something that's so hard for people to do because so often, you know, when we're growing up and and you, you talked about mental health, you know, I was someone who was diagnosed with depression as a teenager. And, um, for me, it was just like, it it could have been anything, but it was something I, I saw as sort of a label that I let define me as, you know, like I said, I had, I had trouble with being on time and I was a perfectionist and it's like, you know, if you let a label define you too much, um, you, you stop trusting your own instincts. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you, you start thinking, well, I'm going to screw this up because that's just what I do. You know, I've been told, I've been told that's what I do. You know, yeah. a, a lot of the list for me, that's been one of my biggest battles with it actually is just, and I realized this the other day, I mean, I'm in the, I'm really very much in the throes of the process of selling the book right now and doing this book proposal. And, because it feels like I'm in on a little bit of a bigger stage, I just really keep psyching myself out and thinking, mm. well, because you know, I, I have my editor saying to me, oh my God, Laura, you've accomplished so many things. Like this was a piece of cake. <laughs> and, and, and writing is so important to me that, that I'm thinking like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up somehow. Like I value this so much, but I think we, sometimes we can make things a little bit too precious. Yeah. You know, and, and I think if you're, if you are injured and coming back to the sport, you can psych yourself out because you're afraid like, okay, well, what if I'm, I'm doing, I'm going a little too hard. Um, and, and I think, uh, with, when you're talking about grief and maybe the benefits of exercise that with grief that I experienced, I don't know. I think sometimes grief can become almost a security blanket. Um, and, and it's like, it's almost like a survivor guilt thing. It's like, do I deserve to have this happiness and, and freedom and pleasure in my life? If my loved one can't, especially if you know that the way they died was, was a violent way, you know, and you feel badly about that, but it's like, you know, survivor's guilt is like, like someone told me last night, guilt is the opposite of love. And I thought that was so profound. And I said, cause he's like, he said to me, well, what's the opposite of love? And I was like, fear you know, that's what I think of. And he's like, no, it's guilt. And I, I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, because if you're defining your choices by guilt, then you're not loving yourself oh. because I, you're I, not, 
you know like i know i'm yeah. still it's still, that, still I, don't this is totally like, know we're going on <laughs> we're going to do a whole nother hour we're going to have this person they were talking to come on too because that's a really good the opposite of love is guilt and and listening to that i mean i was i was raised catholic and irish mother and that catholic guilt oof and right now i'm in the middle of lent and i'm just like my kids are looking at me like well what are you giving up and i'm like well hold on a minute you know i've given up a lot in 2020 but um no i i think it's important that what's the purpose you know of guilt you know like what does it do for us you know and and hearing that it's the opposite of love is so unique well, it's it's what religion uses to to organize people absolutely to, to keep them in line and and uh, I mean what I when I say trust yourself like what that kind of means is and, and you know I'm <laughs> like I said I just heard this for the first time last night so I'm still kind of trying to formulate this into my own <laughs> ideas but um, <laughs> I love like my dad used to keep these lists like I have found so many of them not just his bucket list and like I, my favorite one is where he talks about uh, establish my religion. <laughs> Oh, wow. You know, and it would be like right next to like buy milk, you know, like, so he was, he was a pretty, pretty deep guy. Um, but, but I, I, you know, I just feel like, and, and Oprah talks about this a lot. She's like one of my favorites. And I think what she says is true that, um, whatever intention you set for something, whatever energy is around that intention tends to color the outcome and it tends to color your experience of it. So if you're doing something, cause you feel purely obligated to do it that's going to color it. You're not like, oh, I'm giving you this present because I love you. It's I'm giving you this present because I want to be seen as someone who gives presents. Right. And I'll feel bad if I don't do it. And I, mm -hmm. I definitely used to be one of those people. I was such a people pleaser. I would do yeah. stuff because it's like, well, I don't want to make, I don't make someone feel bad. And I, but really it wasn't even about compassion for that person. It was about, I want to look nice. Mm. And there's such a big difference between nice and kind, you know, and I think if you're being kind to yourself and you're loving yourself, then that enriches the love that you show to other people. Yeah. So, and I think setting out to, to get into running and boy, I sure hope triathlon, I'm going to find out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, having those intentions. Yeah. You have, you have the next, uh, have you, have you picked, um, dare I say, pick a race? Cause I know that it's just a crazy <laughs> time to even say that. Are you putting it out there or are you just giving it time? I Yeah. I signed up for one. I signed up for the 70.3 in Atlantic city and my husband did too. So oh boy, our, our, sketch, our schedules for March, end of March. There That's when we're going to start. That is fantastic. Well, and like I, I said, he, he already did one. So he's yeah. already an athlete. He's, he's got it on there already, but, um, but this is going to definitely be, you know, uh, a huge adventure and my, my, my hat goes off to you for putting it out there and putting it on the schedule. Cause I know it's just been a crazy time. Um, but it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited for you guys to be going down that venture again with each other this time, like going back at it and, and getting into it. Um, and I have, my last thing is the, uh, the, the rapid fire. So this is something new that okay. I'm doing with, with my guests. And, um, I've tailored this one a little bit to you. So uh, let me go in here really quick. All right. So these are five quick questions that uh, you have not heard before. So just give me uh, what comes to your head. Okay. All right. Number one, your all out power song. Oh, um, the first thing that popped into my head was fight song. Yes. 
the fight that's song. Fun, yeah. Yes. But you know, you know what? There's another one. Um, uh, oh, what is it? We can't, we won't stop or we can't stop by Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Because there's, there's, there's a line in that song where she's like, it's my mouth and I'll say what I want to. <laughs> and I played I that actually a, a couple times during the New York Marathon. That is fantastic. I love yeah. Miley Cyrus. She's awesome. Um, she's got some new stuff that just came out too. It's really good. All right. Uh, number two, uh, for, for those um, recovery modes, like after a long run, after long, long training session, uh, the go-to craving, is it a sweet or a salty? Huh. And when I'm in recovery, I think probably salty. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm always a salty person. I'm, I'm, salty not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a chocolate cake person. I'm like a French yeah. fries person. So there we go. All right, good. And then the next one, when you're doing those long rides, uh, are you doing a bib or cycling shorts? Cause oh bib is, is cycling big... shorts. Yeah. Cycling thank you. Shorts. Thanks for the, yeah, I'm still learning, but I did All actually right. have, I had a whole kit when I did my, my cycling race. So the one piece. Yeah. Boy, I felt, like a, I felt like a real superhero too. <laughs> yeah. Right. But man, those are tough to, to like, just from experience, they're tough when you, if you have to make a stop, you know, so that's, Oh no, 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 that's... no, it wasn't a, it wasn't a one piece. It was, it was two. It was two. Okay. So yeah. you had the cycling type, uh, well, it was a kit, but then they had two piece. Yeah. All right. Number four. Um, this is good because you are vegan goo gummies or other when it's, when it comes to food on your long run or bike ride for nutrition. It's, it's goo. Goo. Okay. Yeah. And the last question is, are you an early morning, uh, trainer or are you like, uh, an evening one, like for the regular ones, not the long ones, but are you like an early riser or are you like to get your workouts in the evening? Well, did you catch that part about me being late for everything? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I'm the same. So I'm 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 a, I'm a late night night owl. A so night owl. My, my runs have actually always been like I'm like a six o'clock six p.m. runner. But mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that too is just fitting it in after work. You're so. sunset. You're the sunset cruise. That's all. It's You're interesting. It's interesting too because I really love wearing sunset colors. I'm very superstitious about oh. running. Yeah, and I I like orange. I like purple. I also kind of like the idea that it makes me feel fast because yeah. <laughs> it looks like fire. <laughs> exactly. I love it. So, you know, so the, stupid. The sunset, sunset <laughs> really, sunsets really are beautiful, you know, and, and should be savored. So I think that that's perfect. Well, Laura, thank you so much for your time today and coming on and sharing so much. I mean, so much of your story, so much of your, of your father's story and how you have put those two together. I'm look, really looking forward to your book, but no pressure, please do <laughs> what you've got to do because I, 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 I can't wait for it. You know, I really, I really say that wholeheartedly and, um, mm-hmm. and I look forward to seeing the venture that you're going on as this Ironman unfolds. Um, so nice to have you on. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. I'm, I was so excited to meet you and talk with you. So thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Why We Try podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. We sure do appreciate it. Until next time.